Uh-oh, it looks like we piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business, strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The Hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever meet them. This is not your typical mastermind. The Hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. I got the biggest smile on my face. I get to hang with a fellow Titans fan, but also, too, I get chills every single time that I see the video. My brother, uh, shout out to him, Brad uh, Dunn, uh, Dunright Productions. This guy is on a completely different level. He did the video for the hideout, and uh, I get goosebumps not because we're trying to sell anything. It's because of the experience that we're creating. So two and a half days of focusing in. It's like the little rascals, bunch of dudes get together. We get to focus on the one thing that we all lose, which is joy. And again, I get goosebumps uh, in it because it's one of those things that me and my friends do uh, every year for my birthday. But now we actually get to, uh, you know, expose it to to others. Uh, only 12 that get to come. And then we're going to do it in the winter too. But uh, it's just going to be amazing. So on today's show, guys, uh, I have uh, probably one of the coolest guys. We made fast friends. We met, um, I mean, we've, we've been connected, but we actually got a chance to be able to spend some time in a hallway in Huntsville, Alabama. And a hallway in Huntsville, Alabama, generally, I mean, if you're not from the South, you hear that a hallway in Huntsville, Alabama, you don't think about like life transformational things. But for me, it, it was just a, a couple of minutes and we got to spend together. And what I loved about this man was he looked me in my eye. He had questions. And when I asked him to be on the podcast, he was like, I don't know. I don't know if I have anything to offer. I don't know all, all this stuff. And I said, no, dude, I, I want you on the podcast because your story is so incredible. And he spends his whole entire life building everybody else up. He's constantly making sure that everybody else has what they, they want. And he get, grabbed me a gift on that day when I was there. And it was a banner from the Titans, from the Tennessee Titans. He's a, a, a huge Tennessee Titans fan. He's got season tickets. And him and his son went to the game and he got a banner, and he said, I want, you, I want this for you and your son. And it hangs in my son's room. And the banner itself is phenomenal. 
but it was the meaning behind it. And he was constantly always just lifting people up and making sure they had everything. And then he sent me out some trash pandas cups, some cups from the Titans game, all these things. He's always making sure he sent me pictures. He was just at the game. I think this was a flex because he was saying, I'm here on the 50 yard line and you're not, I'm here with my son. I'm a better human and a better dad than you. Uh, but I, I, I'm trying to get past that and realize that I should not compare myself to anyone. That's what my mom said. But I just think that this is a, a phenomenal, phenomenal human being. Uh, so please welcome to the show, Mr. Joshua Black. What's up, man? I appreciate it. You're too kind. <laughs> well, I love, I love being able to chat because, you know, when, I, when we first talked, man, I remember I was driving uh, towards my, my son's school, and I said, hey, uh, this was during the summer, but it was, I was crossing the freeway here in Carlsbad right next to heaven. Um, and I was crossing the freeway and we were on the phone and I said, Hey man, I want you on the podcast. And you were like, ah, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know. And I was just like, I want you to come as you are because who you are to me is so important. And I want people to understand this and I want people to see it. Um, why do you think that you answered in that way? Um, when I first asked, uh, I mean, just, I, I don't know, just nervous about, you know, the situation. Um, you know, just, I mean, it's a huge platform to, to speak to a lot more people than I'm usually able to do. So just probably nerves. Well, and I, I think it's good because it's the authentic side, you know, it's the authentic side of, of you wanting to connect and again, wanting to pump everybody else up. You have no problem. And I watched you at school. Um, hey, you know, Josh wears many hats. Uh, one the most important one that I think that he uh, wears is the father hat. And, um, you know, he wears so many hats and, and, you know, when he came to me, we were talking in the hallway and, and, you know, it was at the Paul Mitchell school in Alabama and you were asking me about a bunch of, you know, different things that you had going. And what I was saying is just kind of, you know, almost kind of slow down a little bit and just focus in and just because who you are, Josh, uh, is so incredible to so many people. Um, let's go back to young Josh, right? Um, you've got a hustle about you. You called me the other day, like when we were talking to, you said, uh, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm, cause I talked to you about the hideout and you were like, I don't know, because you said it's not for hustlers and grinders. And you were like, I'm, I'm a hustler. I said, no, Josh, you have hustle. You're not a hustler. There's a difference. You're doing things for the right reason. And you have crazy work ethic, amazing work ethic. Let's go back to young Josh. Where did this work ethic come from? Was it parents? Was it, did your parents instill this? I mean, my mom was definitely uh, a hard worker. Um, my dad died when I was like seven and I, w I watched my mom, you know, try to take care of myself and my brother for, you know, working two jobs. Um, um, she was always at it. Uh, and, you know, still to this day, just an amazing, wonderful person. So but with your, with your mom, perfect. like what was some of the things that you saw your mom do, uh, when you were, when you were growing up that, um, that helped you to, that she maybe wasn't saying to you, but that you saw that you said, Hey, I need to work. I need to, I mean, cause you have an uncommon work ethic, man. Right. I mean, again, just to see her like get up every day and do it, you know, go to a second job after work to make sure that we were taken care of. You know, I didn't realize or appreciate it at the time. Um, I was a very ungrateful person for a really long time, but you know, looking back on that now, I, I mean, she definitely was a go-getter, a hard worker and, you know, handle business. So when you, when you say that you're ungrateful, it's, it's hard for me to imagine that. 
Can you take us into that? I mean, it's hard for me to imagine because, I mean, dude, you're so gracious. Like, every time that we talk on the phone or we'll text, you're constantly, like, I said, hey, man, can you send me a picture? Dude, you sent me so many cool pictures of seeing Malik Willis, uh, you know, playing quarterback, and we were excited. We're excited. We're, we're riding with Tannehill. We're both riding with Tannehill. But oh, we're, yeah. exci- we're excited about the future. I mean, Derrick Henry, best running back in the game right now. I think our defense is solid. I, I believe that we should go, uh, you know, 17-0, and um, I believe. And we should just run through the playoffs, uh, home field advantage, and win the Super Bowl. So, I mean, I don't even think they should play this season. I don't believe. Um, <laughs> but you're constantly. Con- hey, you're constantly. I mean, uh, Josh, you're constantly giving to other people. You said you're ungrateful. Take us into that that stage in your life when you realize that uh, that that ungratefulness was there. Uh, I mean, I guess you know, as as a child, I feel like I was very grateful and thankful, and you know, I got into my teenage years and you know, drugs and alcohol came into play and I just became a really selfish and self-centered person. So talk to us about the drug part because my daughter is 13 years old. I did the podcast because of them. You know this, you know of my kids, McKenna and Maddox. You've helped Maddox to now have some of the coolest uh, memorabilia uh, in in the game. Um, Talk to us about the first time that uh, you said drugs and alcohol came in. Which one came first, drugs, alcohol, which one? Drugs. Okay. Which, what drug was it? I mean, it started with me, like, uh, marijuana. Uh, okay. And shortly after that, cocaine. Okay. So with the marijuana, how was it? Did you cough the first time? Is, I mean, because that's oh, always yeah. the funny movie. Like, you take a hit and you're like, <laughs> you know, is it like that? Yeah. It was, I mean, it was like that. I, I remember I was in seventh grade and, uh, we were in the boys' bathroom at school and, like, did that. And then I went back to take this test, and I just, like, christmas tree this test and, like... What's the, what's the conversation... But what's the conversation in the boys' bathroom in seventh grade? Because it's a joint, right? It's not a bong. Are you... Right. It's, a, it's a joint at the time. Right. Okay, some of the people out there don't know what a joint is. Um, it was rolled up. Nowadays, it's all vaping and, you know, technology. You could just right. get, a, get a hit on your iPhone. You know what I mean? You could virtually uh, take drugs or whatever. I'm joking with you. Um, but so is it a conversation of, hey, we're going to go in the bathroom and we're going to do this? Or is there peer, peer pressure involved? Is there, what is it? I mean, definitely peer pressure. Okay. Uh, you, you know, in that, you know, I was, uh, I was scared to get in trouble and you know what I mean? But I hung out with people and that was another one of my mom's things like, hey, you hang out with these kids, you're going to get in trouble. And it's like, whatever, mom, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to do what I want to do, you know, but it definitely, uh, was my surroundings and continued on for a long time like that. Okay. So talk to us about the first time with, um, it's, it's always intriguing to me when you talk about like, when we talk about weed, so smoking weed, smoking marijuana, uh, you know, parents, especially conservative, would be like, it's a gateway drug. And then the the guys who love them some uh, some weed are like, it ain't no gateway drug. You can't get addicted to it. You can't do all this stuff. So you see, you hear these, these, these sides. I want to hear your side of you try out pot, right? So you get high, you Christmas tree the test. 
when does coke happen and was it tough to put some up your nose because for me i remember my 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 cousin being like yo we crushed up aspirin and we had snorted it so we get a bloody nose so we could go home from school and i was like i just can't take some on my nose so talk to us about that first experience um uh, with cocaine where to come from i mean because that's a pretty expensive drug too it's not i mean it's not a not a cheap one yeah again same friends uh one of my friend's parents sold it and we were over at his house. And so we went, they were gone. We went into their bedroom and, you know, took some and like basically like dared me to do it. And I mean, again, uh, that peer pressure. So I just get it. Was it, was it immediate? Was the feeling immediate? Because was the high immediate with, and how long between the first hit of like in the seventh grade bathroom with the pot how how long was it between that and then the cocaine? Eighth grade. Eighth grade. So almost a year. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you, it was I mean, maybe it was somewhere along that. I mean, so it probably wasn't quite a year, but were you smoking a lot of weed by this time? I, I mean, it's just something that we would do, like you know, get to school early and like walk to the store, or you know, whenever we could get it. I mean, at that age, it was you know, you didn't really know a lot of people like that. So it's like basically my friend stealing it from his parents kind of thing, you know? And then is it a diminishing high? You know, because there, I mean, everything else, it seems like in life, like say, you know, say uh, let's, let's call it uh, success in business. Right. So you hit this high and then it's like this dark, deep Valley, right? Because you're like, you hit the high and then you're, you're going to have the highs, lows, whatever it is. And then, you're always chasing that first high. Is that what, I mean, is that what you experienced with, with weed or did, were you able to get the same high all the time? You know, honestly, like I, I was never a huge fan of weed. It really made me introverted and I'm definitely not an introverted person. Okay. And so like I, I would get like super paranoid and like, you know, think people were talking about me. So like it was just the thing that if it was there, I would do it. But you know, I moved on to other harder drugs, you know, shortly after that throughout high school. Okay. So you went, let's go, you, uh, eighth grade, you do cocaine. How often do you do cocaine? Do you stick in this or is this your thing or do you just come uh, like move on to something else? And if so, what was it? Uh, from there, it was, uh, a lot of ecstasy. Okay. Uh, from, from Coke to the ecstasy. And that's something that, you know, we did a few nights a week going out to the club and hanging out like, you know, that whole like loving environment. But, uh, that again, you know, that was very euphoric, a lot of fun, but you know, it just led into a lot of, I mean, that's really what led into some really dark times for me. Cause what comes after that was really bad. So when you get, this is, this is high school. So ecstasy is high school. You guys are, you know, going out, you're doing the thing at first. It starts with some, some lollipops, right? Some lollipops, some glow sticks. Uh, you know, you're, you're in the, uh, I don't see you glow sticking as Josh. Were you glow sticking? Uh, I mean, no, I was just sitting on the sidelines enjoying. You, hey, Josh, you weren't doing them gloves with the lights on them and doing all the dancing and stuff like that. Yeah, I can't really dance. I, ho- I I wish I could have saw that, you dancing with the glow stick and, and doing all that stuff. I Obviously, I don't want, I'm not saying that I'm not making fun of the pain part of it, but that part would have been cool to have some footage of it because then I would have showed you all the time when you uh, showed me that you were a better father than me, and I'd be like, you were glow sticking back in the day. So 
we we go into uh, you you take it into this uh, this place of um, ecstasy. What's next? Uh, next, it turned into heroin. Okay, so tell us about the first time you take heroin. Like, I want to know what it feels like. I want to know. Uh, did you do it? Did you uh, did you shoot it? Did you smoke it? Shoot it. You shot it. So. Talk us through this because most of the time people don't, I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by it. I've never done heroin before, but is it, is it like what you see on the shows? Do you wrap your arm? Take us through the whole process. Yeah. I mean, so I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, and I think, you know, part of the addiction is like the process of leading up to it from, you know, putting it in the spoon, putting the fire to it, you know, putting a piece of cotton in there, putting it in the needle wrapping your arm and then, you know, drawing the blood and then going back in like the Pulp Fiction scene, you know? What does it feel like as soon as it hits you? Like when you go, draw blood, right? And then you go and you press in, tell it, explain to a person who's never experienced it. What does it feel like? I mean, you can feel it rush. I mean, from your heart to your toes, to your fingertips. I mean, it's very instantaneous. Um, I mean, I definitely don't want to hype it up. I mean, it was a great feeling. I, I, I loved it. Um, I mean, I had, you know, no idea of what it was going to cause in the future. But, man, I mean, it was, it was a great feeling. And, I mean, it's just something that I couldn't get enough of. So that, fir- that first hit, you feel that. One, one person told me it, it felt like uh, getting wrapped up in a warm blanket is the way that my, one of my friends explained it. Right. And he I mean, said, what's that? That's fair. Okay. So, and he said, it, he said it was this warm blanket. He said that it was just this amazing feeling, all this stuff. But again, like, like you said, he didn't realize all that was coming with this. When do you start to realize how quickly do you start to realize and how quickly does it start to get dark? It isn't the first time, right? Is it the third time, fourth time? When, when does things start to get dark? Man, it was, you know, like a month of, of doing it. Uh, I woke up one day and I, I didn't feel good. And uh, I, one of my friends stopped by and they're like, hey, man, you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm just feeling ill. I'm going to go to the doctor. And he's like, just take another hit. You'll be fine. I'm like, ha whatever, you know. And they leave. And so my mind starts racing. So. I go do that and then instantly I feel better. Um, you know, you get physically sick for not having this drug. So, I mean, that, that progressed, uh, really quick. Um, you know, I went from within a matter of like four months to like homeless about this, you know? So you went from, you went from, from the time that you started four months that you were, you were saying that you were homeless by that time. Yeah. So take us through that part of it. Cause that's, I mean, that's a, that's a quick trip, man. I mean, you just, I, I mean, again, you wake up every day uh, and your job becomes like, I, I got to get high, you know, by, by any means. Um, Are you living at home? Are you living at home at this time? No, I had uh I had already moved out. I was living with a girlfriend and both of us were doing it. And it, I mean, again, it just progressed really quick. And then, you know, you meet other people that, 
you know, teach you ways to make money. So, you know, I met this guy and he's like, oh, we're just going to Home Depot and steal some things. And uh, I mean, it, it progressed really quick and, you know, I started to get in trouble. And so you started, you, you start getting in trouble. This is about four months in. Are you, are you living on the streets at this time? Uh, yeah. I mean, between like whoever would let me stay to like sleeping in the car to like, you know, uh, a few times like getting a place, but it's short lived, you know, you pay a deposit rent and by the time the next rent comes, you don't have any money, you know? So, I mean, just, you know, asking friends and family for money and just like, I mean, that's where I really started like burning a lot of bridges. So, Josh, take us into this, because I think a lot of times when people hear about this, they're like, okay, you started doing drugs. Okay, I understand. You went through this stuff. Um, If you just stopped doing drugs, then your life would change. Talk to that person that is like, because I don't think that a lot of times people understand what addiction is. It's that monkey on your back. It's that controlling thing. It's, you know, and there's, there's guilt associated with it, too. Am I correct? And there's shame, yeah. there's shame associated with it. I watched this in my family where, you know, I had uh, family members that would, you know, they would either drink or do drugs and then they would act out and then they would have so much shame about what they did that then they would drink to be able to make themselves better to, to cover the shame. But then the shame went even more and it was the cycle. Can you take us into the emotional state that you were in and also talk to that person that's saying to you, during this time of you couch surfing, you're doing the drugs, you're, you know, things are, you're seeing it going dark and they're just saying, Josh, well, everything would be better if you just stopped doing them drugs. Right. I mean, again, you know, I, I don't know. You wake up with like the worst flu you could imagine. Right. And like, all you got to do is take that TV to the pawn shop and meet up with this dude and you're instantly feeling better. So, you know, again, that's where that like selfishness and self-centered, you know, came into play. I was willing to beg, borrow, steal. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I mean, I, I stole from my mother. It's definitely not something I'm proud of. Um, but it just, you again, waking up, being sick and knowing this is the only way to feel better. You know, I mean, that's basically how it, just revolved and revolved, you know, same thing every day. So Josh, when you said you stole from your mother, what, what did you steal from your mom? And, and when you stole it, did you then sell it to be able to go and, and get heroin? Yeah. yeah. What'd you Um, steal? Yeah. I, so I went, uh, I went to her house and, uh, I took a TV. I want to say there was like some money in the freezer and, uh, I remember like picking up a pistol out of the drawer and like right before I walked out, I put it back. I just knew that that probably wasn't the best idea. Um, And then again, instantly drove to the pawn shop, uh, sold the probably some gold too. uh, sold those things and met up with the the drug guy. So Josh, Talk to the parents out there that have a kid that is doing heroin right now. Cause there's a lot of people out there. And as far as parents that they honestly, they just don't know what to do. And some of them, you know, you do the best with what you have. 
what advice would you give to the parents out there that are struggling with a son or a daughter who is in it right now, is in that dark place? What, 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 what should they do or what can they do or what comfort can they have? I mean, I, man, I don't, I don't know that there's any comfort in that. I think the biggest thing that you can do is not enable them. I mean, that's, you know, I, I see that, you know, that's the biggest thing that, you know, parents will do is just continue to give and give and give knowing, you know, that that person's not doing right. You know, and that, you know, eventually my mom enabled me for a long time and, you know, one day she gave up and she wrote me off, you know, she stopped taking my calls. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was very emotionally draining to her and, you know, I took and took and took, but, uh, you know, I think enabling that, that person is the worst thing that you can do. Um, but unfortunately they're going to have to reach their bottom and, you know, want help. What are some of the things that parents don't see as enabling that to you is enabling when you look back at it? Because, you know, as a parent, like I got two kids, I'm just saying like, you know, no matter what my kids are going through, uh, you know, as a, as a father or as a mother, a lot of times you don't see this as enabling, but can you yeah, help us? Sure. Can you, can you help us to understand what that enabling is and that way, you know, maybe we could circumvent some of those things. I mean, you know, as addicts, we're going to come up with all kinds of crazy stories to make you feel sorry for us. Like, oh, I need to eat to send me some money. Like knowing that that's not, you know, that's not the case. But I mean, we'll come up with anything that we think is going to make you feel guilty. We're going to manipulate you and then get what we want. What is the, what is the craziest manipulation thing that you used? And during this whole time, are you conscious or is it an out of body experience? Is it a blackout or do you remember it all? Like you're almost seeing yourself do it, but you're out of out of your own body. No, I mean I, man, that's that's. I mean, it definitely. I mean, I was there. I mean, but again, you know, it all falls to being selfish and self-centered. I didn't care about anything besides me and getting high. Mm. And that by all means and any means, you know, I did that. So what was the craziest thing as far as guilt-wise that you did? Because I've heard of people injuring themselves. I've heard of, like you said, the, the you know, hey, I'm hungry and I need food. Um and I've heard of these things. I haven't experienced them personally. Um, but what was the what was the most extreme thing that you did uh, that you look back on now and you say, "Wow, I, I can't I can't believe that that you did to be able to manipulate the situation to get them to enable you." Oh man, so 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 many things. Um, I mean, you know, at this time of, I mean, this progressed for a lot of years and you know, went back and forth and back and forth. I, um, I think, uh, I, I genuinely did have a battle with cancer, but, you know, in the process of that, uh, the doctors were giving me pain medicine and Xanax and I was abusing it and getting it from several different doctors, but just using that as a way to, Hey, I need to go to the doctor and I don't have any money or, you know, I need, my medicine or I need this treatment 
and just like making it a lot bigger than it was. So they felt guilty to give me the money. Can you talk to the parents out there that feel horribly guilty and think that, you know, Hey, this was my, my doing like, this is my doing. And I feel so horribly guilty about it because as parents and you're a parent too, a lot of times we take on the actions, right. And justifiably so. I mean, I'm just saying like, if you're constantly yelling at your kid and then your kid is yelling at other kids at school, well, I mean, that's kind of your fault. Right. Right. But a lot of times in these situations, it doesn't really fall to the parent. I mean, not to say it's not their fault, but can you talk to that? Because there's so much guilt on a parent's side. And I I deal with a lot of uh, parents that, uh, and I have friends that, you know, have children that are inside of it and they are just ridden with this guilt. Um, Can you speak to those parents out there? I mean, again, it's, you know, you feel like, you want to do everything for your kid and you want to like teach them like right from wrong. But, you know, once that line is crossed, I don't, you know, they, they learn these behaviors from, or I learned all these bad behaviors from other people. Like I would have never known how to steal without meeting that person that taught me how to do that. Um, you know, and I think my mom beat herself up for a lot of years about that. Um, again, you know, the enabling is the biggest part. But, you know, there's a lot of, like, outside, like, trauma that parents probably don't know about. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of people are abused mentally, physically, sexually, and, you know, never speak on it. And, you know, that's, you know, a huge cause of, you know, not wanting to feel, which, you know, using drugs to not feel. Were you conscious about using drugs to not feel? Definitely. I mean, definitely. I... I, I used it as a way to cope, but, but, you know, I used it, Hey, I'm happy. Let's do drugs. Hey, I'm sad. Let's do drugs. I mean, like, I didn't want to feel like I wanted to, I wanted to always be at that point of just almost unconsciousness, yeah. uh, to not deal with, but I created this mess. Right. And it's like, I have these debts. I have probably these people that want to kill me. I have uh, not talked to my family in years. It's like, you know, I created this mess and, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I wanted to blame everything else. I wanted to blame everybody else. It's your fault that I'm doing this. It's your fault. You know, I want, I never wanted to, it's really easy to look at somebody and say what's wrong with them. It's really hard to look in the mirror and say, Hey, what's wrong with me? Mm. What do you think, Joshua, was the feelings that you were trying to not feel? Uh, I mean, you know, I don't know. Growing up, like, again, like my, my dad dying, I was really, really close with my dad. And then, you know, after that, I never really felt like a part of. Like, I played sports, but I didn't feel like I was quite good enough. I, you know, I made okay grades, but I didn't feel like it was enough. I, I, I just, I never felt a part of, it was always like I was out of place or the black sheep in a situation, you know? And, uh, you know, when I started to do those drugs or, and drink, it was like, oh, you know, this, I, I feel like a part of this, this, it just made me feel included. And it just took away that, you know, that thing that we have that naturally tells us this isn't the right thing to do. 
it just kind of blocks that. So talk to us too about the, um, uh, the, the rock bottom, right? Because there's this, I mean, we, we hear the seventh grade, the pot starts eighth grade. We got cocaine. We go into the ecstasy glow stick time. And I still think you were glow sticking. Um, you know, I'm going to find these videos. The uh, pictures may surface. They're going to be on VHS. And, uh, <laughs> so we're going to find them. If you're out there and you were glow sticking with Josh black, um, at sublime Joshua on Instagram, please send the pictures in to the Kelly Cardines podcast. We, we would appreciate this. Um, so you go into your ecstasy, uh, lollipop, water drinking, glow sticking days, and then it turns dark. The heroin is the dark part, right? That's yes. when it starts to go dark. So the heroin goes in, we go, uh, you know, we, we do it. Um, it's, it's crazy the first time, then it starts to go downhill. It gets dark. You're, uh, you're stealing, um, you know, manipulating, doing all this stuff. Um, what's rock bottom? So, I mean, okay, so there was several times that you would have said, hey, this has got to be his bottom. It can't get worse than this. And, you know, it did. Um, so after dealing with, you know, the cancer thing and the pain medicine, it kind of, it, I had like quit heroin for some years and took to drinking and thought I could do that successfully and I couldn't. Um, but, you know, I was in a place to where, my son was, I hadn't seen my son. He was born. Uh, I hadn't seen him in probably like three months. Um, I created a mess with owing some people some money. And uh, I decided that killing myself was, uh, was the best option. And, you know, I, I attempted that and I woke up in the hospital and that for me was, that was it. That was, that was the changing point for me. How, how did you, how did you try when you say that uh, you were tempted? Mean, What'd you do? Uh, a ton of, a ton of drugs, a ton of drugs. Like how much for the, for those, I mean, like, what is it? What is a ton? What's I mean, is it, is it all mean, heroin? Is it, are you mixing at this time? Yeah, it was like Oxycontin, heroin, uh, Xanax, uh, muscle relaxers, all at the same uh, time. All at the same time. How many Oxycontin? How many, uh, what was the other ones? Uh, there was Xanax. Xanax. And like, I mean, at least probably like 15 of the Oxycontin, uh, a handful of Xanax, I don't know, 10, 12 of those. Uh, the Somas and that like together will like stop your heart. So and then you, fun. and then uh, did you do all, you take all those in? But you had to do them in, in, cause you can't do 15 any well, pill mean, I, at I one time. Some, I, I shot some and I just, I mean, you'd be surprised at how many pills you can take back at one time. Whew. How many do you think that you took at one time? Cause I have a tough time. Like the other day I was taking, uh, I can't remember exactly what, it, I think it might've been a multivitamin. Now I'm comparing, I think I'm the first person in history to compare a multivitamin to heroin. Um, <laughs> But I was having a tough time getting down. It was a horse pit. No, actually, it wasn't a multivitamin. It was turmeric. And my wife is all about turmeric to make sure that I don't inflame and inflammation and all the stuff. And I was like, baby, this is tough. Like, I went to take that down. How many pills were you able to take at one time? 
I mean, I, I mean, it's nothing, I mean, I don't know, it's nothing to brag about, but I could like dry swallow like 12 pills. 12 pills. Uh, I mean, I still do that sometimes in the morning. If I don't have my water in the bathroom, I'll just throw them in my mouth, swallow, and then go, I don't know, like, <laughs> I don't think that's like a, a great accomplishment. <laughs> have, have you ever, have you ever thought to uh, compete uh, against Joey Chestnut? Cause if you could take back that many pills, you could eat some hot dogs, man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that that might be the next uh, uh, thing. Okay, so okay, so you know that I mean this is this is your intent. Hey, I'm going out, like I'm going out. I'm 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 taking my life. Right. Talk to us about the emotion that you're going through as you're taking the pill. Is it relief? No, I mean I think I was scared. I, you know, it was like I couldn't imagine continuing to live life the way that I was living it. Okay. But then it was also hard to imagine like stopping that. Right. Like, so I couldn't imagine what life would be without, you know, these drugs and alcohol. And I I definitely, I mean, I was scared, but I just, I just saw like, you know, I just had hurt everybody around me and like, just, disappointed everybody and I, I like again I again only thinking about myself you know I didn't think of like what's this gonna do to my mom what's this gonna do to my son you know mm-hmm. after growing up without a father you know so I I really didn't think that through it was just temporary like I had all this stuff going on and I just decided you know what it's just better off to not have to deal with any of this stuff so you go through it, right? You go through it. You take the take the drugs. Um, you die. Do you die? I, I and they bring you back. Did you I did you flatline? I don't know. They probably gave me some like Narcan or something like that. Okay. But, so it was like a uh, Pulp Fiction. It was like a Pulp Fiction moment. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I didn't wake up instantly. I was I was out for some time. How long? Um, I want to say it was like three or four days. So you wake up. What's your first thought? Like when you wake up, what's your first thought? Are you like, I'm in heaven and it happens to look like a hospital? No, definitely not. Um, I, I don't know. I just remember thinking like, well, shit, that didn't work. Um, and then just like all these emotions and feelings started to run across me and I'm just like, okay, I don't want to die, but like, I don't know what to do. And you know, that, that was probably like the first time in my life that I like sincerely asked for help. I'm like, I, I I don't know what to do, but I need help. And like the nurse was like, you, you need to get soap. Like that's the only thing that's going to help you. Take us through that part because a lot of people say, again, I go back to it. And if you're one of the people, I'm not judging you because I've done this before. I've had an alcoholic friend that uh, when they, when I talk to him or alcoholic friend, a family member, I'm like, if you would just stop drinking, everything would work out. But I didn't realize that again, it was, it was, they were feeding a beast and that beast was controlling them. And to get control of that beast is tough. So when you make that decision to get sober, right? Take us through it because it's not easy. And especially coming down off heroin, you can die from coming down off heroin. Am I correct? Right. 
Okay. Yeah, that's uh, so the, I got sent off to like Bradford and uh, uh, I think I was there for like 21 days. And, you know, again, uh, dealing with all these like feelings and emotions and I had like numb that stuff for so long. And I really feel like when I really started, you know, doing drugs that as a teenager, that's when I emotionally stopped growing. So I'm like having all these feelings and I don't know, you know, what feelings, what, uh, and I was really sick and, uh, I was really miserable and I'm thinking like, oh my God, when I leave here, like I, I probably got like warrants for my arrest and like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, you know, and they, that there, you know, they're talking about one day at a time and all these other things. And, you know, I, I hadn't slept in, in several days and, uh, I was talking to one of the, the people that worked there and she's like, Hey, she's like, have you, have you tried praying? And I'm like, you know, I just, God was really at the time, a really scary word for me. And I was like, eh, I don't, I don't know about that. She's like, well, she's like, how about this? She's like, good orderly direction. Could you agree that you need some of that in your life? I said, yes, ma'am. And she's like, hit your knees tonight and just say a prayer. And, uh, and I did. And that was like the first night in probably like eight or nine days that I had like not been able to sleep and I was sick and I, my skin was crawling. And, you know, that was, that was the first night that I slept. What, what prayer did you say? Because I think a lot of times too, people feel like that if they're going to pray, they have to have the right words. If they pray, they got to, you know, light the candles, they got to be in the place, they got to do all the stuff. And it's like, for all the people that I talk to and all my friends, when they're at a point where they, they, I refer to it as giving up the ghost. Like, you know, we just give it up and say like, God, you need to take it. It's never this eloquent, like standing on top of the hill. You know what I'm saying? Like, what was the prayer? Man, I... You know, I mean, I think it was relatable. Like, you know, the only time I had prayed previous to that was those like nine one one prayers. Like, oh God, please don't let me get pulled over. I know I'm about to go to jail. God, please don't let me get pulled over. That type of thing. But, you know, I was like, just, you know, help me through this situation. And, you know, I, I didn't feel sincere about it. Uh, you know, I did it, and, you know, I, I promised that lady that I would try it every morning and every night. And, uh, you know, I did it for a long time with, without any sincerity. When did it catch? Oh man. So from there I went on to like a sober living house and, uh, you know, I, a lot of AA meetings, a lot of AA meetings and AA talks about a God of your understanding. And I'm like, well, how does somebody understand God? Like, that's just too, you know, too much. Uh, and then I'd hear, you know, these people at the meeting, some of them were like uber religious, like blood of Jesus and just really like pushy with it. And, you know, I talk about how I'm praying. I, I just don't have a connection with it and I don't feel sincere to it. Um, I watched a movie and uh, this movie changed my life. Uh, I had a spiritual awakening, awakening that night. Um, life of Pi. So I don't know if you've ever seen that, but you know, it's about this kid that ends up on a life raft with a tiger, a hyena, a zebra, and a, uh, a chimpanzee. 
orangutan, I'm sorry, orangutan. And so he goes through this, like, the whole basis of the story is this writer that goes to listen to the story that he said, I, I heard that you have a story that would make me believe in God. And so at the end, so the guy's like, you know, I've told you sto two stories. In both stories, my family dies and I suffer. Which story do you prefer? And the guy's like, the one with the tiger. It's the better story, of course. And he's like, and so it is with God. And I don't know what it about what about that, Kelly, but it hit me like a ton of bricks that a God of my understanding, you know, I looked in so many different places for a God that was somebody else's understanding, that it had to be Catholic or it had to be Baptist or it had to be Buddhist or, you know what I mean? And it just that like really lifted it for me. It's, it's, it was like a personal thing and it just made it so simplistic. And I just, just made this connection and like instantly, you know, my prayers at night are, you know, thank you for another day sober. Like, please guide me in my mind and my heart. Like, and I just continued to do that and I felt connected to that. And it was, it was about keeping it simple because I can overcomplicate anything. And, and I mean, like right. I mean, in that very week, like a lot of these miracles started happening in my life. You know, I, 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 I met uh, a lady. I sat down with this lady that was, I was introduced to and, um, she said, Joshua, uh, God sent you to me today. I'm like, what? And she's like, I need you and you need me. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, you know, I own this cosmetology school and I, I think you should attend. And I'm like, ma'am, I appreciate that. But I got back child support and back dad. I got I, I warrants for my arrest. And, you know, I, I can't, I can't afford to do this. And she said, I don't want your money. And she said, can you start Tuesday? And this was like a Saturday. And I said, well, I, I, I got to figure it out at work. And I went into work and I talked to my boss and, you know, I told my boss the story and he's like, do you, do you really feel like this is like a God thing? I said, I don't know, but I want to find out. And, um, he said, well, that's it, man. You can just work at night. And, uh, and I got up every morning at six o'clock. I went to an AA meeting. I went to school from eight 30 to four 30. And then I went to work from five o'clock at night till 11. And, you know, I did that, you know, till I got through school and, you know, Miss Martha loved me until I could love myself. Wow. So when you're talk to us too about the, or talk to me about the, 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 the road back, because you were saying like, um, I think people hear the story, right? They're like, Oh, I started in, then it got, you know, then it got dark. Then I hit my rock bottom and then they always just jump to all the blessings that are happening in their life right now. But they don't talk about that dirty, that nasty of you still had warrants for a year arrest. You still had, you still had the people that you owed money that were probably some pretty scary people if you were willing to take your life because of that. So, right. well, I was, I ended up in Alabama, so, you know, none of those people were here. Okay, good. Um, but, you know, it was, 
it was difficult, you know, and I, I think like AA helped out with that, but just waking up and wondering like, how am I going to deal with all this stuff? And like, you know, I think one of the, the best, you know, sayings for that is like, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. So all I can do is, you know, fix what's right in front of me. And uh, I couldn't fix all these things at once. Uh, but for the first like year of my sobriety, man, I, I was miserable. Um, I, 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 uh, I thought that, you know, being honest was like telling everybody like everything about themselves. Um, so I like lash out at people and I think that was just a reflection of my insides. Um, you know, I, I hadn't had a driver's license for like 15 years and I owed like $30,000 to the state of Florida to, uh, get that back. And, you know, I just didn't see, you know, honestly, like, okay, life's a little bit better. Cause I'm not having to like look over my shoulder, but like, I don't know, like how I'm going to fix these things, you know? And, you know, what I did every day is like, get up, suit up, show up, whether I wanted to or not. You know, I did all these things that were expected of me, whether I wanted to or not. And, you know, there's those mornings that you just like, I don't want to do it. And I would have to say one, two, three, go. And my feet hit the floor and go. But, you know, it, it, it took a long time to, to fix all these like back issues. And it wasn't easy. But, you know, a lot of great people were placed in my life uh, that really, really helped me. You know, I, I remember uh, one of the guys when I was in like detox or whatever spoke and I remember him saying like his story was it was so compelling, so great. And he's like, you know, I, I needed to find people that I wouldn't typically hang out with. I needed to find people that had things in life that I wanted and I needed to find people in life that were better than me. And he said, I walked into the meeting and he said, I looked for the guy with the nicest shoes in the room. I figured he'd have his shit together. And like that stuck with me. And I'm like, okay, so like if I think I should hang out with you, I probably don't need to hang out with you. Because, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy that can be walking down the street and everybody's like, hey, where's the weed at? I'm like, I don't know why I look like I know where the weed's at, but okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like I need to do the opposite of everything that I thought. You know, and I remember uh, one one uh, morning, uh, this guy pulls up in a Maserati, and I'm like, "That's my guy right there, that's that's my guy." And I introduced <laughs> myself to him. I got his phone number, and uh, I, I formed a great relationship with this person. Uh, turns out he was a, a neurosurgeon, and he just taught me a lot about life that I didn't know, you know, and. You know, I was able to do things for him and he was able to do things for me. And, you know, he he helped me to be a kind and useful person. Um, you know, what I liked about him is he was consistently the same. Uh, he was always even kilter. He was always thoughtful. He, I mean, kind of like, I mean, just like you are. You, you talk everybody out. You tell everybody how great they are. And, you know, like he would just say, hey, I'm just another clown on the bus. But you're fascinating. You can do all these things. You're so talented. And again, there's like people building you up. And and again, you know, I was still trying to learn like not to be an asshole to people. And, and he taught me like, you know, before you speak, think, is it kind? Is it useful? Is it truthful? 
see something may be truthful, but it's not kind. So that has to negate itself, you know, and I learned to pause before I spoke and, you know, I, again, I, I started to become happy and whole on the inside. So then like my outside finally like matched my inside. I was, you know, becoming truly happy, but I mean, it was still a lot of work. It was still a lot of work. What do you have for those, those people who are in it right now? Um, you know, or is it even, I mean, when you're in it, can you hear it? I mean, I think there's always a part of you that like knows that you shouldn't be doing this or like, but it, it's hard to come up with a solution of like, how do I not do this? How do I fix all these problems? Like, you know what I mean? So it's just looking at that as a whole, it's like overwhelming. You know what I mean? Like, but for me, it was, you know, one day at a time. And, and I hated that like cliche from AA. I'm like, well, why am I doing my laundry today? It's not for today. It's for tomorrow. Right? Like one day at a time is like complete bullshit, but you know, it's, it is like living in the moment and like, I can't fix all these problems at one time but I can, I can do what's right in front of me and do the next right thing. And, you know, doing that for so long, you, you start to clear those out, you know? So I made some short-term goals. I made some long-term goals, you know, but if you don't set those short-term goals in between, like you're going to lose sight of what you're really going for because it just seems so far away, you know? So it's like, I'm going to get an A on this test. I'm going to show up to work every day. I'm going to show up to school every day. Like, you know, I started to work in the salon. I'm going to do this many clients. I'm going to invite this many people in and like, you know, just like pressing forward and like, you know, you know, setting these goals. Uh, you know, I started, I listened to a positive motivational speaker every day when I got up, um, positive self-talk. Uh, that's something that I always was like really hard on myself. And so I started that and like speaking things into existence and I got really, really excited about that. Right. So like, you know, that's actually how I became a teacher is uh, speaking it into existence. So like, uh, I wanted to figure out a way that I could like impact people's lives on a larger level. And I woke up one day and I decided I was going to be a teacher. And I told everybody, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going to go to work for Paul Mitchell. I had seen, you know, I'd followed Paul Mitchell over the years, but you know, seeing that like, success unshared is failure and like you know aa slogans like you can't keep what you have unless you give it away so like all these like things from paul mitchell kind of lined it up lined up with what i was doing so i started telling everybody i'm gonna be a teacher i'm gonna go to paul mitchell i'm gonna get a brand new mercedes uh, you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do all these things and you know my mentor sat me down and he said uh hey joshua what's your credit score i was like oh I don't, I don't i don't really know and he's like well let's find out it was like a four something. Right. And he said, uh, do you think you can get a Mercedes with a 400 credit score? I said, probably not. And he's like, do you have a driver's license? I said, no, sir. He said, well, you need to put those on the back burner. You need to work on those, but you should definitely become an educator. And, uh, uh, that year I got my driver's license back. I did not get a Mercedes. I got a $1,200 minivan and some humility. All right. <laughs> But after 15 years of not driving a car, like that was a big deal to me. I didn't have to depend on somebody to go get food or 
to do these things. And that was a norm to me to like depend on other people. So that was a really good feeling. I, I, I got to drive my son to school for the first time. You know, that was what not a big deal. Like it seems like not really a big deal, but that was a really big deal to me, you know, and, uh, a year or so went by and, you know, I, I was able to go to school to become an educator and I was offered a job at Paul Mitchell, the school in Huntsville, Alabama. Big shout out to Robert Brown and Suzanne Brown too. Uh, the owners of the school there, they're phenomenal, phenomenal people. So talk to, uh, talk to the kids out there, man, that like my daughter's 13 years old. There's peer pressure. She's a smart girl, stuff like that. But it all starts like it, it started. It's not like you just wake up one day and you pass up glow sticking like you did, which we'll find at some point. Um, and you pass up the weed in the bathroom, you pass up the cocaine, and you just jump right to the deep, dark heroin side. It always starts somewhere. So what advice, what, what, like speaking to younger kids out there, um, knowing what it's done, and you've, it's not like you're coming from a judgment sense, but you're coming from an experience sense. What do you, what do you say to those kids? Man, I mean, that's, it's really hard because like in that moment, like, I, I mean, it's not to subside to the peer pressure. And I know that that's really hard because like, you know, these are people that you think are cool or, you know, it's, it's cool to go out and drink on the weekend. And, you know, it's cool until you get behind the wheel of a car and you kill somebody or, you know, I've, I've just seen so many people now that like have drastically changed their lives by one poor decision, you know? So it's, I don't know. I know it's really tough. Like, you know, I grew up in the, the dare error, you know, just, just say no to drugs. And, you know, that was always kind of like a joke between us, but you know, it, it's, it's again, surrounding yourself with good people. I mean, if, if that, if that voice in the back of your head says that like, this isn't, this isn't right. It's probably not right. Like, listen to that because we know right from wrong. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's instilled in us from a very young age. We know right from wrong. And it's like, but once you cross that line, it just makes it so much more accessible to just continue to do that and progress it. I mean, and it's, I mean, that's, man, it's tough because you want to be a part of, you want to like, you know, you don't, I mean, didn't think by smoking weed in the bathroom, I was going to be a heroin junkie and, you know, end up in jail and like sleep on a concrete floor, like or like live behind a dumpster, you know what I mean? Like, that's not what I thought was going to happen. You know, that would never happen to me. You know, I would never do that. So it's, it's like, you know, if that voice tells you like, it's not right, it's probably not right. Well, Josh, I want, I want to congratulate you too, man, because, you know, you being in education and you helping these kids, I mean, I've seen it firsthand. If you haven't seen it firsthand and you're ever in the Huntsville area, you need to go buy and experience what Josh does because it's not coming from a judgment standpoint. Like I said, he's really pouring into the lives of these, what's, what's called in the, in the Paul Mitchell world is a future professional. And these kids that are beauty school students, they're being poured into by a real human being who's making it cool to do the right thing, not because 
he's always done the right thing, but because he's went down that deep, dark path and he knows what it is. So let's stay over here. Let's, let's come in as in you're encouraging people. I saw those kids light up when we got a chance to spend time and we were in the class. And I think there was five, uh, five girls, um, in the place. And it was amazing to see their walls drop or the, the, those, their, their protection walls. You know what I'm talking about? Right. You know? And I believe was there was, there was a Hannah in the classroom. Am I correct? Wait, a Hannah? Was there a Hannah in the class with no, us? In your class? In class? No, I don't think I don't. There was like there was. Like, I'm trying to think. Camilla, of Camilla, yeah. Madison, Madison, Katie, mm-hmm. Kate. Um, I forget the other one's name. Okay, well, I won't. I, well, I won't tell anyone that you forgot their name. But I said Hannah. I thought it was, but. Um, I saw the walls drop, but it's amazing to be able to see what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, being able to give back. You also, like, you're also, I call it that you have a hustle and you're not a hustler because you're doing, you, you've just got crazy work ethic and you're, you're targeting it towards the right thing as far as supporting your family, supporting yourself and becoming a a better example. Um, if that makes sense. And I want to congratulate you on it, man. I just think it's, I think it's phenomenal. And I think who better to talk to people about these things than someone who, like, again, you're not coming from a judgment standpoint. You're not standing on your soapbox and being like, you guys shouldn't do all this stuff. You're like, no, guys, I I was in it. And, you know, what do you think your favorite part about it now is as you look back in hindsight, as you're standing where you are now? And I know that you're still super hard on yourself, um, you know, and, and, but what do you what do you see as like the coolest thing, like when you look back and you you're st- sitting where sitting and standing where you are now? I mean, just knowing that like, you know, everything that I went through, it wasn't in vain. Like I can use that today. You know, I mean, we don't hear a lot of the success stories, but you know, I've been able to mend that relationship with my mother. I mean, I have a key to her house. Um, you know getting the opportunity to apologize and, you know, what can I do to make it better? But I can use all these things that I've learned to, again, help others. And for me, it just, it just shows you like, if I can be here speaking to you today on a, a podcast that's seen all over the world, like anybody can do anything that they put their mind to. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your background looks like. It doesn't matter how old you are. Like none of that matters. Like all that matters is this like very present moment moving forward. Like I can't change my past, but I can sure mold and bend the future the way that I need it to be. And, you know, I choose to surround myself with people who are better than me today. People that I look up to people that again, have those things in life that I want. And I mean, you know, it's, I used to, like I said, you know, don't hang out with those bad kids. They'll get you in trouble. Like, no, I don't believe that. But today I hang out with successful people and I've seen a lot of success from that. I hang out with good people and it, you know, I'm not perfect, but it, it helps me to, uh, look at myself and make sure that I'm doing the right thing as much as possible. Josh. 
if you can, uh, there's two people I want you to talk to, uh, to your mom and to your son. Uh, if you could look into the camera and tell your son and your, your mom maybe something that they don't hear enough or maybe that they haven't heard at all. Um, and I know you've been phenomenal. I mean, you're an incredible dad. You're an incredible son. I know you've mended stuff. But a lot of times we carry maybe a few things around that, you know, that, that, that keeps some weight on us. Um, so first I off, mean, talk, to your, talk to your son and then, and then talk to your mama. I mean, so I was, I was fortunate enough to get sober. My son was like, you know, four years old. Um, so he really doesn't remember that. Uh, but, you know, I tend to, you know, involve myself into uh, work a lot and probably, you know, put off some of those things that I should do, you know, with and for him. And, you know, I've tried, tried to get better at that. Um, and I mean, but I'm also married with four stepchildren. So finding time for, you know, all the kids and uh, to be able to set time aside to do things with them individually. But, uh, you know, I, I just hope that I can teach him like better than what I did. Um, you know, I, I am open and honest with him too. Like, you know, cause he's at that age right now where I started. You know, and, and I just hope that he can see, like, you know, the things that I talk about or the things that I went through and just, you know, know better. But, you know, again, it's, you know, I need to continue to work on myself and, you know, work on those relationships. Because, again, I I emotionally stopped growing at, like, 13, so I'm still trying to learn how to be an adult here emotionally. So, you know, I, I probably, I probably don't tell him that, you know, I love him enough and I'm probably a little hard on him and I, I should probably like, you know, take a step back sometimes and just uh, let myself be a kid. Cause I, I tend to be serious, like way too serious. <laughs> you know, I, I take it, you know, I take it serious and it's like, you know, so I probably need to take a step back and just learn how to like play and be in the moment, you know? I try to do that, but it's, it's hard, man. It's hard. Um, you know, as far as my mom goes, man, I talk to my mom on a weekly basis and, you know, I'll call my mom and be like, you know what? You were right. Um, and I think just, you know, again, having, my mom takes a lot of blame for that. And I, I, she's hard on herself about that, but uh, you know, every time that I'm able to achieve anything or, you know, it's, it always makes her proud. And I just hope I can continue to do that. Uh, just really grateful to have a good relationship and, you know, to be able to be open and honest, but she was always right, man. She was always right. I mean, you know, and she just, she always told me, you know, you do the right thing, the right thing will happen. You be nice to people, people will be nice to you. But I see that now, you know. And, you know, so much, so much of the way that I live my life is based on, like, how that I've seen, you know, my mom live her life. Mm. She always put everybody else first. She always took care of everybody else before she took care of herself. And she's got a wonderful husband now, and they have a great life. And, you know, we have great visits when we have that opportunity. And, you know, but I, I mean, I call her all the time, like, hey, I just want to let you know that you were right. It's like, I see, I told you, but it's, uh, but I have a great relationship with her. And, uh, again, I'm just grateful that, 
I was given the opportunity to build that back, you know, from going into her house and stealing her stuff and, you know, her getting home, not knowing what happened or who it was and being by herself and being scared. Like, what kind of asshole would do that, you know? But, uh, you know, I have, again, the opportunity to make a daily living amends. And that's, you know, my motivation to help people and to want more and to do more. What do you think you don't give Josh enough grace on? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think my biggest struggle, like, I, I do that, like, I'll be happy when... You know what I mean? Like, I'll be happy when I get that Mercedes and then, like, it's like, oh, it's just a car. Or I'll be happy when I buy that house and then it's just a house. You know what I mean? Like, I need to be happy when right now. You know what I mean? I I get caught up in all these things that I want to do and, like, that I want out of life that I, like, I'm losing what's right here in front of me. And, you know, that's a struggle, you know, at home, you know, with the kids, with my wife, like, because I get like hyper fixated on something and like, I want to, I'm, I'm, my mind's just constantly like going like, you know, I, I, and I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I'm living my purpose, but I feel like there's more and I'm like on the edge of like, something's about to open up and I'm waiting for it. But I think I, I do, I need to get in touch with that like child that I was never really able to be, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, Josh, I want to speak some life into you because I, I want you to know how, how phenomenal of a human being you are. Uh, for those of the uh, you guys listening or watching, you already see it. You know why I had this guy on the podcast. Uh, you know why now he's a friend of mine and um, why, and I don't take that term very lightly as far as being a friend. And um, you can see that. And what I want to speak life to you, Josh, is like that God wants you to laugh, man. He wants you to smile. He wants you to belly laugh. He wants you to be in that joy, that little tiny kid inside of you that is raring to get out that sometimes is like, you know, and I, and when I, when I say it, it's just when every, each and every time that I've seen you, whether it be through FaceTime, when you FaceTime me while I'm driving my truck, brother, uh, <laughs> when you FaceTime me to show me that you are at the Titans game and I'm not. Um, or it's when we are in person, man, and it's going to happen throughout our lives. And, um, I, I just, I, what I want you to know is what God's telling you is just rest easy, brother, rest easy. Like it's all done. Like all that stuff is done and all he took it from East to West, you know, all the things that were done before in the East and the what's coming is the West and where you are is the West and the two never meet. There's not an east-west like connection. There's, there's not a point. There's one and then the other, and they're so far from each other. And I want to encourage you on that. And he wants you to laugh, and he he wants you to to smile at the craziest, you know, till your face hurts, and because you deserve that, and because you were built for that. And I just want you to know how much of an inspiration you are, man. I mean, you are an absolute absolute inspir- walking inspiration to so many of us that are listening because as vulnerable as you've been today and as much as you you talk about the stuff, a lot of people have these feelings, but they never talk about them. You were open with me the day that I met you. And some people try and put on the bravado. Don't worry about the bravado. 
I mean, but honestly, that smile, that smile that you have, man, lights up. Like when I was talking about the Titans and you being a better dad than me, like that smile, that laughing, because you're in your heart, you're like, yep, I am. I'm a better dad because I got season tickets and I'm on the 50-yard line and you're not. And so I'm joking with you, man. But I want to speak that life. The reason why I started the podcast, you know, is because of both my kids, Maddox and McKenna. Maddox, 10 years old, right? What's that? Go ahead. Maddox, 10 years old, uh, McKenna, uh, 13 years old. And I wanted to take iconic people like yourself, man. And I wanted to show my kids that iconic people like the Josh Blacks of the world are not superheroes, but they're simply people that aren't perfect, but are working on their attitude every day, working their work ethic every single day. So what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use both their names, it would be awesome. Oh, Maddox and McKenna. Maddox, stick with that football. I want to see you as the uh, the uh, up-and-coming quarterback for the Titans. I saw that throw the other day, man. He's got a throw. Oh, like, stay with that. I mean, but have fun. I mean, have fun with it. Whether, you know, you might hit this point to where, like, a football career may not work out for you, but just have fun doing it. I mean, don't, don't take it too serious. Like you don't have to force things to happen. They'll happen if you allow them to happen. Um, you know, same thing with McKenna. I, I don't know what your daughter's really into, but, uh, I, I know that she's at, you know, the toughest age that there is. And, but I, I, I mean, they got a great dad. I mean, I, I really look up to you, like you saying that about me, but like, I watch you like be a good father and a good husband and, you know, come to these schools and just like light up the room, man. Like I really like adore that. And like, I look up to that, you know what I mean? Like, and you know, you get to do it on a large level and I think that's really cool. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just, your kids, I, I guess again, my biggest regret is like not listening to my mom. So like, listen to your parents Maddox and McKenna, listen to your parents. Like they honestly like really do know what's best for you and want what's best for you. Dude, I thank you, man. The, the, uh, the, the thing that my daughter has is a good segue because from this point forward until this thing happens on every single podcast and, and Josh, you've been riding with us. Like you've been listening and you, you'll call me and be like, yo, I listen to this or, you know, you've been riding. And I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank every person out there listening. If you've been listening, you know that I don't ask a lot. I don't ask for a, a ton. I'll ask for maybe a share, like if you share somebody's podcast or whatever it is. But I am asking this because my daughter goes to uh, Alviara Oaks Middle School. And they are, she is in drama. And drama, I believe, is her thing. She's so excited about drama. And they were talking about the budgeting for the musical. And I went last night to, to listen to Miss Anderson. And Miss Anderson, if you're listening out there, I want to tell you you're awesome. But Miss Anderson was a little bit skittish about asking, like, a specific number. Because you have to fund the, the, the fall musical or the spring musical. And she's like, well, I don't know if we're going to get budget. And I said, Miss Anderson, how much do you need? And she's like, well, I don't know. It could be 5000 It could be this. And I said, no, no. What would you like and what would you need for your ultimate musical? Because I want my daughter to be in the ultimate musical. And she's like, well, it could be. And I said, tell us a number. And there was about 50 people in the room. And I said, Miss Anderson, if it's about $25,000, 
50 people, that's only $500 a piece. We can do this. We can make this happen. And if there's a person in the room that doesn't have $500, then we can make up for that. But I can guarantee you, I need you. And this is what I told her. I said, I I want you to just tell the kids that they're going to do the musical because you tell us a number, we'll get you the number. There is going to be a link in this bio of this podcast where you could donate if you would like for AOMS. I don't, I actually, you know, as the show is live right now, I do not have the link. I, because I went to the meeting last night, I'm going to get the link and I'm going to put it in. So if you're listening to it now, it'll be in there within 24 hours. If you feel it on your heart, do it. But my daughter is going to have this musical come hell or high water. We're going to make this musical happen. And so um, that's my ask is, I'm not saying that you have to donate to hers, but if there's a department in your local school that is lacking funding, do something about it. Get the people together. If you think that, you know, how can I make a difference? You look at the Josh Blacks of the world. How can he make a difference? By the little things that he did when he said, get up, suit up, and show up. And if you could do that, you can make a difference. You can make a difference. I, I did a, 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 a benefit the other night, Josh, and it was for the Agua Hedionda Lagoon Foundation, which is another foundation that uh, is a phenomenal foundation helping kids to be kids. And we were there, and there was 200 people, almost 200 people, and we needed to raise about $100,000. Well, 200 people to raise $100,000 is only $500 a piece. And but everyone was waiting for the whales or the people who are going to give five and six and ten thousand dollars when you can give a small amount. And I'm not saying five hundred dollars is a small amount, but I'm saying that if we all come together, we can make a difference. And if you have a message like Josh has, you're making a difference, Josh. You're making a difference in this world, man, at a high, 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 high level. And I want to thank you for it, man. I want to thank you for for what you're doing and who you are, bro. And the fact that we are going to see a Titans game together. We are going to see one together. I'm sure that Josh will get me the seats behind him because he's going to be like, look, I'm in front, so I'm a better dad. That's what he's going to do to me. No, we got you, man. You you can sit on the 50-yard line. I'll sit in the nosebleed. So, Josh, call out our record this season. I'm an irrational fan. So every week I'm like, we're going 17 and 0. And then I call my buddies and I'm like, all right, 16 and 1. And then I'm like, 15 and 2. What do you got? What do you got? Record for the Titans this year? I say we win 12. 12. So we go 12 and 5. 12 and 5. Do we win the division? We win the division. Do we win the AFC? We. We win the AFC. So we go to the Super Bowl. I, I, th- I think I think that we could go to the Super Bowl. Who do we play in the Super Bowl? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't know, man. There's so many changes this year. I'm, uh, I don't know. I'm excited about some of the changes, but that's a good question. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of trades on the offseason. Okay. A lot of trades on the offseason. So I don't know. I'm going to give me like – three weeks into the season to, to look at everybody and I'll be able to tell you who, who you got in the Super Bowl, Titans against whoever we winning. I think, I think we can do it. Okay. John Robinson. You heard that Jamie Robinson. You heard that Super Bowl happens. 
You going to the Super Bowl with the Titans? You going to the game? Me? Yes. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> that might be out of my. That might be out of my budget. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I told my. I, I mean, even if we get one ticket, we're we're going. We're going. So we got we got to get there. We got to get there. I do like watching on TV because watching Snoop and and Dre in the uh, in the. Um, halftime this year i oh, wouldn't yeah. want to see it in person i wanted to see it on tv because the tv probably did it better but that yeah, was a probably. phenomenal halftime but uh but yeah you, i put money in vegas on the titans this year okay there we go you heard it here and if you lose your money you can call josh josh black <laughs> that's sublime joshua on instagram you can hit him up and ask for your money back so no the gambling's a bad addiction too <laughs> josh i want to thank you again for being on the show man you have been absolutely phenomenal um you're an incredible human being man and i i, I just i just want to encourage you to continue to do great things man because you're a awesome 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 human being well i really appreciate that man and i i just really hope that you know this this can move and help somebody out there today well right now is the time where you check all the uh sponsors click all the links do all the stuff share this with somebody share it with a parent who's maybe battling because the kid is, you know, in that dark place or on that dark road or share it with someone who's in the dark or share it with someone who's coming out of the dark, share it with every single person that you possibly can because none of us are immune. Um, Josh, you have been absolutely phenomenal and you're officially off the hot seat.